Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and uh, Charles W. Chuck Bryant's with me, etc., etc. It's Stuff You Should Know. How are you doing? Pay attention, people, in the blink of an eye. Yeah. This podcast will be over. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Jerry's getting a lot more loose with the laughter. Have you noticed? Yeah, she wants to be noticed. Uh, either that or her <laughs> sense of humor has been ratcheted up. We're going to look one day. She's going to be like literally pulled up to our desk. Yeah. Just <laughs> with her chin on her hand like, hey. Yeah. What are you guys doing? Hey, nice shirt. Hey, thank you. You compliment the shirt every time I wear it. I know. Let me set the scene. We're in our uh, serial killer-like room, mm-hmm. and Josh is wearing his Mystery Science Theater shirt. 3,000. With Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> <laughs> and it's got the guys there. It's a silhouette, the famous silhouette in the movie theater seats. Yeah. And it's just a great shirt. Yeah. Um, one time, you, me, and I were at home watching it on, I don't know, the internet or something like that, laughing, laughing, laughing. Yeah. And uh, she had such a good time that she got me this T-shirt to commemorate it. That's a great reason. <laughs> so thanks a lot, MST3K guys. Yeah, Emily does. I got a Dexter shirt. I got a True Blood shirt. Yeah. I got a Mad Men shirt. You guys are laughing at Dexter. I know, a Parks and Rec shirt. <laughs> Every time, Children's Hospital shirt's on the way. I'm like, enough with the shirts. Right, exactly. Fun TV events. Right. <laughs> you can just show what... TV show you've watched recently by yeah. wearing that T-shirt. I'll do like Michael Stipe. Remember that year he wore like ten shirts at the VMAs. No, he, did, he kept taking off his shirt for each award they won, and it was another like statement, political statement. Oh, you know Stipe. What yeah. a guy! I found it's best just let Stipe do his thing. Let Stipe be Stipe. Yeah, that's a shirt. You know he's got a sculpture like right there. What do you mean? He has a, a an outdoor sculpture at uh, the next building over, the Sovereign Building, in the back. Really? Right next to the valet. Um, there's like f- six, seven, eight like cute little larger-than-life foxes and he running around in a circle. And it's Michael Stipe, yeah. Did he do it or did he conceive it and then had some sculptor go do it? If he did, he's taking full credit for it. Okay. I mean, I believe he did it. They're called the Stipe Foxes. <laughs> I can't remember what it is, but it's got like, or what the name is, but it's got like a plaque that says, you huh. know, who the artist is and gives some background. And well, look at that. It's Michael Stipe. Had no idea. Yeah. And it's pretty good, too, I have to say. I'm going to go check that out. You should. Right after this. Uh, okay. Chuck. Yes. Do you know what an IED is? I do. I bet some folks might not, though. You hear that word? It's one of those things you hear on the news a lot. Mm-hmm. Some people might just sort of. You know, it gets lodged in the brain as, I don't know what that is, but I hear it enough. Spell it out for him. I-E-D. <laughs> Improvised explosive device. And that is the, I believe, still the leading cause of uh, troop death in the Middle East. Uh, yeah, the mission in Iraq is over, right? Like we've totally drawn, withdrawn? Yeah, I was talking about Afghanistan. Right, okay. But I think so before then that even it, it was. It, it remained... Then forever now, the number one killer of U.S. troops in Iraq, and it still is now in Afghanistan, as far as I know. Yes. I have a couple of stats here. Mm-hmm. Um, it is still the top threat. You're correct. Killed 104 U.S. troops in 2012, compared with 196 in 2011. That's a significant drop. 46%. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're getting better at, fine, and we'll get to this, of their methods of getting better at rooting them out with machines and... From what I gathered reading the stuff, just the the soldiers being there, they just sort of get in that mind. They're just getting better at this, like sniffing out 
sniffing them off the case. Right, yeah. <laughs> These guerrilla tactics, you know. The yes. more you're there, the more you just understand the enemy. That article also, though, said that that statistic reflects just fewer troops to be attacked, though, as well. Sure. Um, but, yeah, we definitely have gotten better um, as a military over the last decade or so. Yeah. Like 12 years, I guess. Wasn't it 2001 that we invaded Afghanistan or 2002? Yeah. Mission accomplished. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And we came face-to-face with IEDs pretty quickly um, and really kind of had to learn what we were doing. Like, I remember the the uh, soldiers were just driving around in regular Humvees and getting, like, blown to smithereens from yeah. IEDs left and right. And it took, like, a year or two before they had Humvees that were armored enough to protect them against Humvee blasts. Yeah, well, it's sort of new, though, because this article points out at the beginning of the war, they weren't as popular, and it was mainly gunfire, mortars, and grenades were the cause of the injury. That's because we were fighting a non-insurgent group. We were fighting the Iraqi military. Yeah. We were fighting, um, but the, the Taliban. Taliban. Well, yeah, you're right. Yeah, they were. S- yeah, no, I guess. Yeah, but yeah, in Iraq, we were definitely fighting the Iraqi military. Yeah, but and it, then the insurgency came after that. Yeah, they definitely have uh, realized how effective they can be when you can put it in a dead dog's carcass on the side of the road. Yeah, or a cow or something like yeah, that. Yeah, very scary stuff. You can hide it just about anywhere. Um, and they're not new. The um, insurgents um, in Iraq and Afghanistan didn't invent IEDs. They go back at least into the Vietnam War, where the uh, Viet Cong figured out that a good way to get American troops blown up is to put an IED in like an old Coke can or something or an old beer can, yeah. leave it along the side of the road where you knew they were going to be walking because everyone knows that Americans like to kick cans down the road. And apparently all it took was one kick and then boom, the whole platoon was in danger. Yeah. There was an IED. Yeah. The IRA, Irish Republican Army, obviously used those in the 60s and 70s. And then, you know, when you hear about the Boston bomber or the Centennial Park bomber. These mm-hmm. are IEDs. Yeah. Basically it, homemade bombs. Right. It's an improvised explosive device, which yeah. basically the big distinction is you didn't buy it from a com- from a commercial manufacturer. Right. Or it didn't come from a commercial manufacturer. Right. Like a pipe bomb. That's an IED. Yeah. Doesn't have to be in Iraq or Afghanistan. And like you said, I mean, the reason that they are in use, and man, they are in use. Um, is because they are an effective weapon against a larger, especially larger conventional army. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, they're cheap. They're easy to get the parts to. They're fairly easy to put together. And apparently there's a lot of information out there about how to do it. Like the Times Square bombing that was foiled. Yeah. A couple of years back. The, the bomb that, that guy had was virtually identical to the ones used in the Boston Marathon bombings. Oh, really? So clearly there's some instruction out there that people who want to can get to and make these things from just parts you buy at the store. Yeah, the internet giveth and it taketh away for sure. Yeah, right. All right, so you want to talk about the basic parts of an IED? Yeah, there's five of them. Yeah. You got your power supply. Mm-hmm. Um, you Basically your trigger... And your detonator need electricity, um, usually from, like, say, a battery or, um, well, a battery. Yeah, I mean, it could be as simple as, like, a flashlight battery. Yeah. So that's pretty scary. Uh, the trigger is uh, the switch that sets the device off. It's usually, like, sometimes it can be a tripwire, but usually, or a timer, 
but most times it's like a firing button where someone is watching mm-hmm. that they actually press or a radio signal from like say a cell phone or something. Yeah, anything that can relay information that can trigger an event to that trigger, like a a garage door opener, cell yeah. phone, radio, whatever. Right. Um, that makes a pretty handy trigger switch. That's right. So the detonator. Yeah. That is the uh, the small charge that sets off the larger charge. I know we talked about this in something. Oh, building implosions. Exactly. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, it's kind of the same thing. Yeah, you're taking a, a little charge because it doesn't take quite as much to set that one off. And then you use the f- energy, the force created from that one yeah. to explode the larger charge, the main charge or the primary charge. Right. And um, you can actually use conventional weapons, conventional bombs like a, an unexploded landmine as um, the primary charge. Right. Fertilizer is very handy, apparently. Yeah. Um, and then from the main charge, we move on to the container. That's the thing that holds everything together, whether it's a pressure cooker or an old washing machine right? or whatever. What did they do in Boston? Pressure cookers. Was that what it was? Mm-hmm. Okay. But they snuck in in backpacks. Is that right? Yeah. That is some scary stuff. It really takes a lot to not be super freaked out at any public event. After something like that. Yeah. You know? It definitely takes a, a little while, too, for even the most rational, stable person yeah. to say, no, I'm just going to I'm gonna go to this marathon and hang out and not worry about things. Yeah. I think it increases vigilance for sure. Um, and then, of course, like in the NFL this year, you know, I got the uh, Falcon season tickets. They sent out a statement to all the ticket holders that you can't, like, bring bags into the game anymore unless they're those clear bags that like high school students have to use now. I didn't know you could ever bring bags. Like yeah. you could bring a backpack into the game or something? Yeah, or a purse or anything. Like you can't bring any of that stuff in now. can't bring a purse any longer? No, it's got to be like they have a size requirement. It's basically, you know, a little small purse that can fit your ID and stuff. Yeah. But, um, yeah, they're putting the kibosh on that. Yeah. It can fit your ID but not your IED. That's right. Yeah. That should be their slogan. Which, I mean, I guess it's not much to give up, like a purse of course, I don't carry purses, so it's not a big inconvenience for me. Right. But, you know, I mean, to ensure that much more safety, Yeah. that doesn't seem like enough. But it's also part of that slippery slope where it's like, okay, we made that concession. What's the next concession? Right. Taking off your shoes in line at the airport, not that big of a deal. But when you add it together with all this other stuff, all of a sudden, we're pretty much constantly thinking. There's constantly yeah. an awareness of... The threat that's out there. That's probably good to a certain degree, though, don't you think? Yes, it is, but I think it's also a double-edged sword where yeah. it's like you're, you're maybe you're safer, but you're also more stressed out. Right. You know? Yeah. And it certainly doesn't limit uh, the uh, racial profiling and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, after events like that and you're, people are staring down people of different colors and races. and. Oh, yeah. I'm sure like the random pat down through like a TSA line is pretty far from random. Yeah. You know? True. See our podcast on uh, on uh, no flight lists. Did right? we do one on that? Yeah, I genuinely don't recall <laughs> really? it. Yeah, give yourself a break, buddy. We've done five hundred and fifty of these. Yeah, but I would think like I could remember any of them eventually. Like if you said the title. Yeah, we did one on no fly uh, lists. Like, how do you land yourself on a no fly list? Okay, on a government list. Yeah, like no fly was part of it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That was my fault. I said the wrong title. (laughs) That's why I wasn't jogged. 
Yeah, we did one on like uh, flying and stuff. Uh, all right, so there's uh, there are other things packed inside these devices as well, basically for use as shrapnel, um, anything from nails to ball bearings. Um, sometimes it can be toxic uh, chemicals uh, to cause fire. Mm-hmm. It can be all sorts of nasty things. Um, yeah. And it can be part of a dirty bomb. It can be like the means to get a dirty bomb uh, exploded. Right. Well, Chuck, before we go any further, you want to do maybe a message break? I think so. Okay. Chuck, so we've talked about what parts there are to a um, an IED. Um, let's talk about how they fit together. And obviously, we're not going to give you any kind of instructional no. step by step. Um, but there, I mean, there's just general information about how it if, how they fit together. Yeah. So you got your power source, which we talked about, right? And that's going to give you the electricity that you need to uh, power the the trigger and the detonator. So that's how those fit together. Right. Um, and then you've got the trigger, which activates the detonator, yeah. which also requires some sort of power yeah, um, or also draws power from the power source. Uh, and the trigger can be – it can be set on a timer. Right. Like the old like uh, sticks of dynamite with the clock, the, the <laughs> timer, you know? Curly wires. That's an IED, I suppose. Sure. Um, the uh, – Could it, have a sensor on it. it. Yeah. It could be activated by a tripwire. Um, it could, there's all sorts of things you can do. Somebody could be standing off in the distance watching and pressing a, a, a calling a phone. Yeah. I remember we talked about it before. I don't remember which one it was, but we talked about supposedly a separatist, a Chechen separatist maybe, uh, was planning on bombing Red Square in Moscow. Oh, yeah. The New Year's before last. And she blew up because she got a text message from her phone. Before she made it out of her apartment, she wow. got like a Happy New Year message from the phone provider. Wow. I never followed up to make sure that wasn't an urban legend, but it is a heck of a story. Yeah. I do remember talking about that. Yeah. And I believe it. You could just because. <laughs> why not? Yeah, why not? <laughs> uh, and then you've got, like I said, we've got the detonator, which provides the energy for the main one. And then the main charge, which sends a shock wave or a blast wave and shrapnel and fire or toxic chemicals or whatever, outward, very fast. Yeah, and uh, the big problem, like we said, with IEDs and with combating IEDs is you can make them from so many different materials. There's all sorts of different types of explosives you can use. Yeah. Um, the, the parts you can get from just about anywhere. I know in the Boston bombings, they used um, the trigger was triggered via a, an RC car oh, really? part. Jeez. They used regular, like, batteries, D-cell batteries. Um so you can get this stuff from anywhere. So, like, if you were really interested in stopping IEDs from being produced and made, your supply lines, following supply lines, is really difficult. Yeah, it's not like you can trace things. Yeah, and they're so just coming gotten. from so many different places. Yeah, it's like we're banning RC cars. Can't really do that. Yeah, I did see where the government is um, trying to track this stuff a little bit more. Um, they spent more than $200 million, the Pentagon has, uh, basically just trying to get a hold of the problem altogether. But they have something called the Joint Improvised Explosive Device Defeat Organization, mm-hmm. or jaid <laughs> Right. And um, I think they're going to get about $217 million this year. And one of the things that they're trying to do is track some of the stuff uh, out of Pakistan. It seems to be one of the main countries 
where things like calcium, ammonium, nitrate are coming from. Yeah, fertilizer. Yeah. And Pakistan saying, uh, we kind of have an agricultural um, sector that needs fertilizer, so we're, oh, we're not going to stop making fertilizer. Right. Well, part of the problem is that's also the main source of explosive material being used in IEDs so that in just, Afghanistan. Yeah, that shows you the problem. You're part of the problem, at least. Yeah. Um, the the other part of the problem is there's so many different ways to deliver an IED. You can just put it somewhere. You, they're very easily hid Yeah. Um, in, say, like a rubble or a trash pile or, like you said, in the carcass of a dog or a cow or something like that. Just something that seems innocuous. They can be buried. Yeah. Um, they can be left in a car. Yeah, those are vehicle-borne IEDs. Yeah. And uh, that, have you seen... I'm really into these modern war movies. Mm-hmm. Have you seen uh, Hurt Locker is one? I haven't seen that one. Oh, man. So good. And uh, Zero Dark Thirty. That was the worst part of the movie. What, what part? Where the lady's like jumping up and down like, yeah, my informant's coming for the car bomb. That's what happened, though, dude. And the other girls on the other end saying like, OMG, I'm so excited for you. It's like their characters suddenly just totally deteriorate. Yeah. Like into just these caricatures. Like what happened at that part? She was jumping up and down like, yeah. I don't know, man. I think she was probably pretty excited. To... I just thought it was very weird. So much you know, so I'm like, what is the director trying to do here? Like what? She's trying to say something that I'm not picking up on. It was just odd. Yeah. But yes, that was a vehicle born explosion. <laughs> but you like the movie aside from that? Aside from that, yeah. Okay. I thought it was pretty cool. Both uh, those were Catherine Bigelow, by the way. Right. But uh, yeah, I never saw Hurt Locker. Hurt Locker's great. And then uh, Green Zone was another good one. The Matt Damon one. Mm. Wasn't that like um, the Born Identity 4? Isn't that what a lot of people called that? No. Really? Yeah. Well, that's just silly. It was Wasn't it by movie. the same guy who directed it, too? Maybe. I think it was. Paul Greengrass, I think. Yeah. Yeah, but it was... No, that's just silly. It was because it was Matt Damon kicking butt. And Paul Greengrass. Yeah. But it was a war movie, not a spy movie or whatever those Bourne movies were. Yeah. I got you. I take issue with that statement. Okay. (laughs) Um, All right. So let's talk a a little bit about the explosion itself. Uh, I said that gas heats up, expands rapidly. And how rapidly, Josh? Um, well, if you're talking explosion, uh, usually at least 1,600 feet per second, 488 meters per second. Yeah. Which is a lot. That's your blast wave. Yeah. And if you're anywhere near that, then you're probably not going to make it out. And it um, creates a lot of um, force measured in atmospheric pressure, Gs. Oh, yeah? How many Gs? Uh, up to 1,000 times the normal atmospheric pressure at sea level. So you remember wow. in the diving bell episode? Yeah. We were talking about, or no, it was the um, the ejection seat episode. Oh, yeah. We talked about how when you eject from a plane, right. you can be, depending on how fast you're going, you can be subjected to up to 20 Gs all of a sudden when you when your seat shoots out. This is 1,000 Gs. Wow. All right, so that's going to send that shrapnel at that same speed which is going to do tons of damage. There's secondary shrapnel from stuff like windows and buildings that are going to be splintered mm-hmm. and flying around. Right. Uh, there's the fire itself, uh, secondary fires. And then this one I didn't really think about, though, the um, the vacuum. Yeah. Apparently can uh, it leaves a v- vacuum that can, like, 
cause you to go blind or deaf and well it blows it out yeah so much that yeah it causes a partial vacuum and then the air rushes back in to fill it and it brings all that other debris that it just shot out right back into you so you get it twice i guess if you're in that blast zone wow yeah. and i guess that atmospheric pressure is what can give you like concussions or that's the shock wave swelling of the brain yeah like um, um what, what is it a traumatic brain injury which is so yeah. similar to ptsd oh yeah um, and it also points out, too, I never really would have thought about this, but air-filled tissues and organs, like your lungs and your bowels, can actually be perforated with this pressure change. Yeah. That's just unbelievable. Yep. Um, and like we said, if you're close to one of these, you're probably not going to make it out alive. If you're a little further away outside that pl- uh, primary blast radius, um, you're likely going to be injured. A lot of, uh, I think, 61% of wounds in Afghanistan are still caused by IEDs. So while deaths are down, still a lot of guys and ladies being wounded. Yeah. You know, losing uh, limbs. There's a lot, there's a huge increase in Iraq and Afghanistan to lost limbs and brain traumatic brain injuries because they're being protected from Kevlar. Whereas before these, these protections and the measures that, that the military took to protect soldiers um, were instituted prior to that, they would have just died. Right. So they wouldn't have been chalked up to the casualty or the injured list. Right. They would have been chalked up to the dead list, right? Yeah. So now it's like, yeah, they're being protected, but they're also losing limbs. They're right. also like, they're, they have brain injuries. There's big problems that they're carrying along with them as well. Yeah. Which is one of the things that's made this war so expensive. Um, not just financially, but in like, you know, human cost as well. Yeah. And of course, civilians aren't protected at all. So they're dying. Yeah. Uh, at a rapid rate. So you've got IEDs. They are out there. There's a problem. What have we learned from Iraq and Afghanistan? Like, how do you protect against the, the use of IEDs? Uh, well, one thing they use is dogs to sniff them out. I don't know. At some point, we have a good article on war dogs that we might, uh, cover. But dogs is one way. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, just living in country and learning that, you know, every time one of those goes off, they probably learn a new method yeah. to add to the list, which is scary, but also great to be there and sort of get inside their head a little bit. Paying attention and being suspicious is another one. Yeah. Like there's a, an instance that's given in this article about a... Um a marine spotter who noticed a man outside of uh, Habanaya, Iraq. Yeah. Who was videotaping a convoy. <laughs> yeah. It's like, that's kind of a dead giveaway that this guy should be checked yeah, out. And I guess sure. they looked at him and saw that he had a high powered rifle on the seat next to him. And they shot and killed him and went over. And apparently he had a bunch of parts to make IEDs with. That's right. So I guess he was scouting or what have you. And then not very uh, surreptitiously either, it yeah. sounds like. <laughs> um, and he probably, well, you never know. I was going to say he might have one of those video cameras from like the 80s too. It's like set on <laughs> his shoulder. Way, yeah. It's not even a small one. Yeah. Um, they do have some new technology though, which is pretty cool. And it makes sense because if you're using like a signal from a cell phone, let's say, mm-hmm. to set these things off, you might think, hey, can they jam those things? And they can. Yeah, they do. And they're trying to. That's something uh, terribly named... Um, device called the NERF, N-I-R-F, yeah. which stands for? Uh, neutralizing Improvised Explosive Devices. Oh, no, wait. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Is so, that NERF? Yeah. 
Isn't that a terrible acronym? So NERF. Oh, with, radi- with radio frequency. Okay, right. sorry. Give them the whole thing. Uh, neutralize, <laughs> neutralizing improvised explosive devices with radio frequency. NERF. Yes. <laughs> and that emits a high frequency pulse that basically just shorts out all the electronics in the area. Yeah, they also have um, devices that emit bursts of microwave radiation that fry the electronics anywhere yeah. around. So if you have an IED coming up and you shoot it with some microwaves, it probably isn't going to work. That's right. And they have lasers. The L- the LIBS, L-I-B-S, man, the military and their acronyms. Yeah. It's like everything. They love those. When I'm talking with my brother-in-law, he's just like, and he's so used to saying what they are too, mm-hmm. and it's just like rapid fire. Mm-hmm. He'll say like, LIBS, laser-induced breakdown spectroscopy. See, I can't even say it that fast. <laughs> spectroscopy. Well, it's specto- spectroscopy is a difficult word to say either way. That's why they call it LIBS. Yeah. And uh, these detect IED explosives within about 100 feet, which is pretty good. Because these things, you know, most of the time it's not like, it's not a, a daisy cutter, you know. The explosion is large, but it's not, you know, if you're 500 yards away, it's not going to have much of an impact on you. And they, um, they've gotten a lot better at detecting devices. Um, apparently 86% of IEDs uh, in Afghanistan were detected before they went off in, I think, 2011, yeah. 2012. Um, and uh, did you hear about the guy who... Sold fake bomb detectors like around the world. No, he's this British guy named James McCormick, and for ten years he sold this device called the ADE six fifty one, which stood for Advanced Detection Equipment. And basically, what it was was a device called the the Gopher, which is used to find lost golf balls. And it actually doesn't work. It doesn't even find lost golf balls. <laughs> it it has no better no better chance than random chance to detect a golf ball or anything else. Wow. This guy just repackaged these things and sold them. He sold one to a government for 300 grand. And apparently the Iraqi police bought 6,000 of them. They're still in use all over the country. They don't do anything. This guy made $60 million over 10 years selling these things, and he's a total fraud. Is he in jail or anything? Yeah, they got him finally. Oh, they doing did. 10 years in prison. Wow, and they took his money? I yeah, don't... but who knows how many people, like, died Depend because of him. Yeah. Yeah? It's pretty scary. Uh, they also have, like you talked about, their, the Humvees and stuff are more armored now. But um, they also have things called mine-resistant ambush-protected vehicles, MRAPs. Mm-hmm. And they uh, have a flat undercarriage in the shape of a V, which will supposedly divert the blast. Yeah, rather than flat. It's yeah. like... It goes. It comes to a point. Yeah, it makes makes sense. It yeah. diverts it away instead of just right up under the vehicle. So you just have to hope you're not standing next to the vehicle when the thing goes off because yeah, it's going to direct all that stuff towards straight you. Straight out. Yeah. And then just today, um, we learned that a company called Oshkosh, not Oshkosh, but Gosh. No, but I wonder if they're related. <laughs> the military vehicle division of Oshkosh, Bagash. It's in Wisconsin. Is Oshkosh, Bagash, Wisconsin? Yeah. Is it really? Yeah. Oh, this Oshkosh is probably a place there. Yeah. Don't you think? I believe it is. All right. We'll, we'll look into that. Maybe they make uh, onesies and <laughs> military yeah. vehicles. But uh, in Washington, D.C. right now, today is August, uh, what, like 13th? Today is the 14th. 14th. In D.C. this week, they uh, have a trade show, and Oshkosh is un- unveiling the Terra Max. And the Terra, not Terror, Terra is in land. The Terra Max is... Um, Unmanned, which is kind of cool, and it has uh, counter IED payloads, and uh, it's basically a little 
um, ATV that I guess is remote controlled. Mm-hmm. Or it says it can run um, in a supervised autonomous mode. Right, remote control. Oh, is that what that is? That's just a, another way to I put remote control. Yeah. <laughs> they should say RV, man. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's pretty cool. So they're, they're definitely spending money at the rate of about 200 to 220 million a year mm-hmm. to try and combat this. Yeah. Well. And that's all I got. That's all I got, too. Um, if you're interested in this, you can also, another way of delivering an IED is via suicide bomber. And we did an entire episode on suicide bombers, did we not? We did. Okay. So you might want to check that out as well. Uh, and if you want to learn more about IEDs and how to combat them, you can type IED into the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. And since I said search bar, it's time for a message break. Stuff you should know. All right, Chuckers. How about uh, listener mail? All right. This one's called uh, I've Worked with a Hyperbolic Chamber. Uh, Barrick. Hyperbaric, what did I say? Bolic? Hyperbolic. <laughs> the guy's like, it's the largest chamber in the world. <laughs> it's so full of hyperbole. Um, <laughs> hi, thanks for catching that, by the way. That's what. I just finished listening to the How Does a Diving Bell Work, and I couldn't help but think about a guy I think about a lot. I used to live on a Caribbean island called uh, Utila. It's in Honduras. Uh, Utila, or Utila, is known for backpackers learning to dive whilst traveling around Central America. I was a scuba instructor on the island and also drove the hyperbaric chamber or hyperbolic chamber set up (laughs) and funded by a small fee charged to all divers, uh, although we treated locals for free. Um, All of us non-Hondurans learned to dive as safely as possible, but the locals would go for lobster. They called them bugs, had horrific diving conditions. Uh, They would have a guy in a boat with a couple of dive tanks without pressure gauges attached to long hoses that the fishermen would use to breathe. Uh, they knew that they were running out of air when it became hard to breathe. <laughs> uh, once they realized they were running out of air, they would surface quickly, but stay in the water, drink a Coke, uh, and smoke a joint. They would be attached to a new tank then and go down looking for more lobsters or bugs to stuff in their sacks. So this is what's going down down there. There's an article about um, this industry and, and this way of getting lobsters in Mexico by hand in Harper's I think last month's Harper's or this month's Harper's wow yeah it's like just like that really really dangerous yeah they're really cavalier and they get hurt a lot apparently they smoke weed while they're doing it yeah (laughs) Uh, this one guy came into the chamber room in pain and twisted up we were pretty sure he wouldn't walk again we gave him a couple of rides in the chamber over a couple of days this entailed trips down to the equivalent of 60 feet only to be slowly brought back to the surface quote unquote uh, sorry quote surface end quote <laughs> over a few hours time um, we also did some hydrotherapy in our small pool because he wasn't getting any better we had to fly him off the island to the mainland but keep the plane just above the water so as not to elevate him much higher than sea level after leaving him at the hospital I never saw or heard about him again uh, he was a husband and father of two and that was 12 years ago and I think about him often uh, and that's from James Thanks, James. I thought that was a pretty great email, too. Yeah. Um, and he sent a picture of the hyperbolic, hyperbaric chamber. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah. He said it was a bad picture. I thought it was great. Yeah. Seemed fine. You're hard on yourself, James. <laughs> Let yourself up. Uh, if you want to send us a picture of something cool that you operate, we'd like to see that. Um, you can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. Uh, you can send us an email to StuffPodcast at Discovery.com. And you can join us at our home on the web, StuffYouShouldKnow.com. Stuff You Should Know.
For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 